Are you looking for freedom? Freedom from the daily grind and hustle? Or just finding a way to live the life you always wanted? Then join us on the Investing for Freedom podcast. Our host, Mike Ayala, will help you discover new ways to find freedom with tips, insights, and interviews. You'll learn the exact systems he's used to travel the world and live his best life. True success and happiness are all about freedom. And here's your roadmap on how to find freedom on your own terms. Welcome to the Investing for Freedom podcast. Here's your host, Mike Ayala. Hey guys, it's Mike Ayala here. Um, I wanted to tell you guys about something that you're actually going to hear today. Damian Lupo and I have uh, recently started a show called The MD Show. And we're super passionate about this and where this kind of all was born. Damien and I have spent a lot of time over the last couple of years uh, on weekly calls, sometimes twice a week. And we were just talking about, you know, some of the conversation and the information that we get into is just so amazing that we wanted to share it with the world. And so we decided to launch what we're calling the MD show. It's live every week. You can catch it at the MD show live.com. So just go to the MD show live.com. And what you're going to hear today is a podcast episode. The audio is from the latest MD show that we did with uh, me and Damien. So hopefully you enjoy it and uh, don't forget to come join us every week live. You'll be able to interact. Um, and again, go to the mdshowlive.com. Hey, hey, hey. Time for another episode. Sorry we've been gone for a couple weeks. Um, had a little situation in our world, which wasn't fun with the family, but you know, appreciate uh, Damien, you being patient with me. Glad to have you back. Yeah, it's good to be back. Yeah, it's, it's called life. You know, it's, I mean, the, these things do happen. And it, it's always, I think anything that anytime we have an event happening to us, we can, it, uh, one of the most powerful things is to take that responsibility and, and say, okay, I, I didn't choose this thing to happen. I can 100% choose how I'm responding to it. And a lot of times I hear people saying the opposite. You know, and I never heard you say this. Well, you know, what's going to happen next to me, and and I'm the victim of something. It's like, okay, well, now that I've had this event, whether it's trauma or something, you know, terrible, whatever it is, what what are we going to do with it? Like, we always get to choose that. And I think a lot of people have just they, they never really were taught that, or I don't know. That's it, it. Seems like that's how you have always operated since we've known each other. You're just you're thinking about what you're going to do with things, not what what's some you know how things are going to happen to you next by somebody else. You know, it's such an interesting um, time, and just you know, for context, I mean, we we lost a family member this uh, a few weeks ago, and it's really just brought a lot of focus. I mean, you and I have had this uh, conversation, but you know, I think a lot of times people think that, um, you know, their their life is more challenging or you know bigger problems than everybody else or whatever. And I've just realized like everybody's dealing with everybody's dealing with stuff, man, and it's really just. Um, I, number one, I'm so grateful and thankful that I have so many amazing people in my life. Um, and you know, you're one of those and I really appreciate it, but I've just realized through this whole situation too, what my support network looks like. And, you know, if you're here listening today, I mean, we, you know, we talk a lot about investing and, you know, retirement and freedom and, you know, why are we doing all this? And I've really just been pondering that the last couple of weeks with, you know, being able to just spend time with family and what a blessing that, you know, I'm able to take some time off and that we've got such an amazing team. And, you know, if you don't have that or you don't have um, that built into your life yet, I mean, it's even more the reason to, to listen to people like Damien and, and work on, you know, things like your EQRP and your retirement plan and having passive income and other streams of income and all of that, because 
nobody's life is better than anybody else's. We all have challenges. We all have trauma. We all have issues, as you were saying. But the way that we approach it and the way we deal with it, I think, is the most important part of all of that. So, yeah, and we have control of that. We we absolutely have control. One of the things that you have control of that, I, and it's it's always it, it's funny because when we first met, I was trying to figure out like what what do you do, and how how is it that you have all this time, and I think probably a lot of people would would ask that, and it, it wasn't an accident that you have time that you've you've created something, you've created assets, you've created structures, and that's one of the biggest lies that's out there is is this idea that if you play by the rules, if you go to school and you work hard and you invest in your four hundred one k, and then you'll have time. You won't have time. Even when you don't have that job, you won't have time because you'll, af- you'll be afraid that you're going to lose your 401k that's full of stocks. So the reality is there is no way to be free if you're not participating in your plan. Having a plan that somebody else creates that you're just hoping will work out. Like I, we, we've seen that. And you, that was definitely never never something that, that, was, that was part of your plan. And if it was, maybe when you were six, but I doubt it. It was like, you know, you, you always had a plan. And, and that's, that's the people that we see that have the time. It's the ones that had a plan, worked the plan, and they're in the plan. Yeah. You know, and I don't I don't want to oversimplify this. I remember one time sitting at the summit at C and I was sitting across from I was actually sitting next to Robert Kiyosaki and I I made the comment to him, uh, you know, we were playing cash flow and I um my my kids used to we used to play cash flow all the time. And my kids would beat me. Like they were, you know, they got really good at this game and understanding, you know, financial, the financial side of it. And I was I was telling Robert Kiyosaki, I said, you know, the the, the concept is really simple. And he just like laid into me and he's like, it's not simple. And I, so I, <laughs> and I agree with like, what I was trying to say was that, you know, it isn't easy. None of this is easy. It takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of planning. It takes a lot of strategy and we're very impatient. Also, that's the other part of the problem. Cause we think, you know, once we have this awakening or, or we start getting educated or we start listening to financial underdogs with Damian Lupo or whatever, our mind is opened and we have our, our moment, we have our epiphany or whatever, but just because the concept is simple doesn't necessarily mean that it's easy. And that's the thing that I think people um, forget too. You know, Russ Gray always said this, you know, an overnight success, 20 years in the making. And just because the concepts are simple, actually, the reason why I was even saying all this is I was talking with somebody the other day that reached out to me that used to be one of my cabinet um, suppliers. Actually, this is the second cabinet supplier that's reached out to me in the last six months. And has said, what are you doing? Um, and I get on a call with them. I actually just referred him over to your team because he's like, what are you doing? Like we used to know each other and we used to be, you know, kind of, um, on the same trajectory and you had this cabinet shop and now I listen to you and you've got this investing for freedom podcast and you're always talking about freedom. And I'm so curious. He's like, what are you doing? And I'm, I'm like, well, just tell me a little bit about what you're doing. And he's frustrated. I won't mention names, but he was like, they just changed my whole commission structure. You know, inflation's up 20%. Our sales are through the roof. They're doing um, price increases left and right. And yet they're telling us that they're going to cut our commissions by 12 to 15%. And he's like, I'm just like, I'm, I'm analyzing everything that I've got going on in my world. He's worked really hard. He's got his house basically paid for. He's got his, you know, 401k with Edward Jones. He's done all the things. And, but he's asking the question, like, what are you doing? And so I just start talking about it. I'm like, well, and I asked him, I started asking him questions. And I'm like, the first thing that you need to do is start an EQRP and then just start studying and learning. And so when I was talking about simple, that's what I was really thinking about is like the principles and concepts around it are simple. If you're having an awakening, a financial awakening, you're having a moment and you want freedom and you want a simpler life, there has to be, a, there. you have to figure out how to get there. And it is simple, 
in form. It's taking some capital, it's putting it in a place where it can grow. And even if it's not growing today, putting it into an EQRP with um, you know, Damien and his team and and letting it sit there and simultaneously studying, researching. Okay, when I grow a nest egg to the point that I'm going to invest, where am I going to put it? It's that simple. Now, is it easy to execute? Not necessarily. I, that is great. I mean, it's it's it, it's really funny because people go, not a, nothing seems like it's simple. This is complex and it's confusing, and and we hear this all the time. And and there, you have to go through complexity to get to simplicity, and that's and that's one of the big hacks that people don't realize. And and I I was thinking about that with with this, the companies that I run and. And day to day, there's a lot of complexity that's going on, a lot of creation. This is where systems come into play. When you read the E-Myth with Michael Gerber, it's all about these systems and creating things that is complicated. And when yeah. you get done, it looks very simple. And when you, you have this beautiful estate and you have your wine, uh, your wine, your vineyards, or you have all these things, it's very simple. And what did it take to get there? A lot of complexity. So I think there's, there's some quote about simplicity is on the far side of complexity. Or something mm-hmm. like that. And and so you have to be willing to go through that. And you, you know what complexity looks like? Work. And so if you want those things, and that's I think that's what people are missing. They're missing that work piece. They just want the simple life, but they're afraid they're going to lose it because they don't understand how you get there. Well, you get there by doing the work, which is there's a lot of friction, a lot of complication. Even though even when you think about uh, working out, being very physically fit, it's it's relatively simple. Like it's it's eat right and move your body. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's that's a simple concept, and then there's a lot of work in. Okay, what does that actually mean? But and then once you've done it, like you look at people that are really, really wildly successful health wise, they're athletes, and they don't think about this stuff day to day. They've been doing it for years. It's who they are. Like you and I look at business a lot of times in investing. It doesn't take us a month to figure out if a deal is good. It takes us about five minutes yeah. because it's simple on the other side of the complexity that we spent years getting to. Yeah. It's such a good point that you're making too, just even around habits. And you and I had this conversation when, when the champions, the GoBundance champions event happened in Dallas, they brought in David Sinclair for the second time. And, um, you know, we had signed up for his program and did the blood work and all that kind of stuff. Well, then to go to the next level to work with him was, I mean, that was a pretty big five figure check. Right. And, um, I remember, uh, telling you this story, but somebody asked me, one of the champions asked me, are you going to sign up for this? And I remember looking at Kara and I remember saying, you know, before I go spend multiple five figures on something like this, I should probably just clean up my eating and go to the gym consistently. And that's another version of like what you're saying, whether it's business or health or whatever. Um, I, I think we're always looking for the silver bullet or the big hack, whether it's, you know, uh, growing our our personal bank accounts or whether it's buying our first property or, or whatever getting, getting our health in order. Like it's easier in our mind to go spend $50,000 on a coach or a program than it is to just go to the gym every single day. And there is no magic bullet. There's no silver bullet in any of this. The it, principle is really simple. The action is not. Well, no. And, and it's, and what we, what we want to ignore is the reality. And whenever I'm looking at myself or somebody else trying to figure out how to get from where we are to where we want to go, it's really, it comes down to a couple of things. It comes down to the calendar, the cash, the credit cards. And, and really, what are we doing? What are we doing with our time? What are we doing with our money? And, and you can see how people are spending it. It's, it's why we're like, why, why we're not healthy. And it's why we're broke. Hmm. Like it's, you just come. And so what does it take to really, do you need a $50,000 coach? You need a $50 calendar 
and and a spreadsheet that shows you how much you're spending. I mean, I did that for a year and I, I was like, oh, there's a reason that I don't have extra money because I spent $2,000 as I'm drinking my Starbucks. I spent $2,000 at Starbucks this last year. That That's what I did when I monitored this stuff. And, and you know, I, I was, I was re- listening to um, MJ DeMarco's book, who I really like. I think he has great stuff, great, great personality, super fun and smart as hell. And he was talking about all these, these gurus that say the secret to wealth and to be financially free is to stop going to Starbucks and invest in a mutual fund. And I'm like, right, just like the, the guru from Fiji that tells you that you can make your millions if you invest in index funds. <laughs> That's not true. What, you, what you're going to have to do is get more active. And, and it's, it's really understanding how you're activating your 168 hours. Like you and I have the same amount of time, same as Bill Gates and same as Oprah and same as everybody else, Elon. And then we use it differently. Most people that don't get anywhere where are trading their time for dollars instead of trading their dollars for time. And they're doing things that they shouldn't be doing because they're cheap. And seeing that, it's really obvious to me. And then you say something and they go, oh no, because they want to defend. Hmm. And it's, and, and you go, you're, you are exactly where, where you are meant to be based on what you created because you made those choices. Nobody else made those choices for you. You're not four years old. Like yeah. you know, that's, that, that's what it is. Yeah. It's, it's such a good point. And, you know, I've said this forever and I think it's a version of what Einstein said, you know, the definition of insanity, but literally if you want something different, you have to change some habits. You have to, you have to leverage something different in your life, whether it's knowledge, information or whatever. And as we're talking through this too, I want to like, just really point out, I remember reading um, the ultimate sales machine by, by Chet Holmes. And he was always talking about pigheaded discipline, right? Because even though we get a concept and even though we implement something for a week, three weeks, even six months, if you don't have pigheaded discipline in your business, which is what Chet was talking about, you're, you're going to lose it eventually. Because even if a habit has been built, um, things come up, time comes up, life comes up. And it's the same thing. I want to give us a little bit of grace for a second, but also acknowledge and understand something. Our, the system is rigged against us. Mm-hmm. You know, whether, I mean, even when we're talking about health, Look at, look at how we talked about this when COVID was first hitting the shelves were freaking empty when it came to processed foods, like the breads and the things that were left were like, you know, things that were just healthy that nobody wanted. And it's just such a funny, like, it's such a funny, like perspective because the system is rigged against us, whether it's health, whether it's processed foods, whether it's the financial, they don't want us. They don't want us to be educated. They don't want us to break our money out of Wall Street. They don't want us to take our money out of Edward Jones and put it into an EQRP and manage it ourselves because then they don't get to control it and they don't get to control our minds. They don't get to control our health. I just kind of went into like a whole different, but the reality is like, we got to give ourselves a little bit of grace and understand that the system is completely rigged against us, but that doesn't change the fact that we're the only ones that can step in and own our future. Like we have, nobody's going to do it for us. They're already, in fact, if we go that route where we say, you know, try to get somebody to do it for us, you're back in the machine. Yeah. And I mean, who wants to live in the matrix other than the one guy that wanted the fake steak that he was (laughs) like, no, just put me back in the matrix. I never want to, I want to taste the steak. I don't care if it's real or not because my brain doesn't know any difference. And that's, and it's, it's a choice. I mean, especially in, in America, it's, it's absolutely amazing that there there's, I, I remember I was reading something years ago and there was this immigrant and he's, he's, uh, he's saying, I don't understand why anybody in America would not start a business. Mm. What is wrong with you Americans? Don't you understand? This is not an option from where I come from. Mm. And I've, I've been, I, I remember being in Peru and hearing some the taxi driver saying the same thing. He was, he was really 
wanting and he was hungry and he couldn't do it. Like there are, there are limits on places. So in America to not, to not take control as an entrepreneur, to not start something, to not create something, doesn't have to be full-time and just Mm -hmm. something that you're creating, that you're actively participating in. That's a big, it's a big deal. and, And people don't even realize it because we don't have any contrast. Yeah. This guy that I was talking to the other day that was, you know, talking about the commissions and everything else, he was, he was talking about how it is scary, by the way, like, you know, thinking about the immigrant and starting a business. And I mean, it never ends. I think people think that, you know, Damien started so many businesses and he's just, he doesn't get scared anymore. He doesn't get nervous. It's freaking scary. And it never ends because it's always a bigger, it's a, it's, it's just a bigger deal. It's a bigger investment. It's a bigger team. It's a bigger challenge. It's always scary. But this guy was saying the other day, as I was talking to him, the one that I referred over to your team, um, he was, he was like, you know, it is scary to start thinking about this stuff and realizing that all these years, you know, I've just tossed it over to somebody. He's like, but what's gotten even scarier is the environment that we're living in now. And the fact that I don't control my commissions. And I, he's like, I'm just starting. And he's actually an independent, he owns his own business. He's just an independent rep. Mm. And it, and so even that, the fact that he's a business owner, we're still at the beck and call of, of our clients. And, and this is another version of, you know, making sure that you don't only have like one or two or three or 10 clients even too, because that could be your only stream of income. And if one or two of those major ones shut you off, you're done. That, that's I've, We've heard that for years where people say, wait, you think the business, setting up a business, having a business is scary? And it, why? Because I mean, and, and then you ask yourself, well, what compared to what? Having a job, you have one customer when you have a job, mm-hmm. that's your boss, that's the company. And if that, co- if that customer decides to, that they don't want to do business with you, you, it's called unemployment. And, and so having like, it's, it's a different way of thinking about things. People think there's actually security in a job and, and that's, that's not true. There's security in, in you, in your choices and your commitment. Uh, it's, it's always funny to me when I see, I just watch my, my employees, my team and I, I see them and I, I go, you guys, I mean, I'm just thinking to myself, everybody here has security. They've built security because of their attitude and their work ethic and their commitment to growing. And it's, it's not because I'm writing them a check. Because if I wasn't writing them a check, they are all, they're, they're, they're creators. Like they're, they're not going to have an issue. They're not takers. The problem mm-hmm. with, with people is that they, when, when you become a taker, you're trying to figure out how much you're going to get. You, you, you actually need job security. The people that are, that are creators that hustle, they don't need job security because the job market's going to come after them and, and want to, want to, because they're delivering. And that's it's a different, it's, you know, that comes down to what you talk about all the time. What I love, it's about the mindset it's not about the freaking tool. It's not about yeah. the investment. It's about the mindset. It starts with that and it ends with that. And it's, and it's that the whole way through. So what, what should you be working on? Probably the mindset. Yeah. Makes so much sense. And I'm just even thinking about, I know so many people that have taken their skill set and turned it into you know a video course or a book or whatever. And I mean, Damien would probably be the first to tell you, you're not going to get rich off of a book, but I'm just thinking about my son, Dylan, who's a professional wake surfer and has done really well, you know, since he was 15, 16, competing and everything else. And then he got some sponsorships, but he even got to a point where he realized I'm not going to get wealthy off of competing and wake surfing, even though he, you know, top five in the world. And so then he starts coaching, but then he starts realizing he's trading his time for money. And even though he's doing really well and makes a great hourly wage, I mean, he's starting to understand too, that every hour that he's coaching, he's got a boat that's running. And even though he's billing $250 an hour, his boat's costing him a hundred. And then, you know, how much money are you, so this was the point that I was making. All of a sudden, he realized one day he, he created an online course and, and he started selling online wake surf coaching and made like 30 grand on his first launch. Like what? 
nobody has any excuse. Like, you know, I would have sat back and thought like, okay, do you really think that you can sell online wake surf coaching? And he was like, absolutely. Yes. And he tested it out a little bit first on zoom where people would record themselves and then he'd coach them through their videos. But then he realized he could make it work online. And so to your point, it's like, there's no excuse. No, it's, 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 it's back to our, our mindset. Our, our excuses are, it, it's a choice. And I think the, the choice comes down to, it's just, it's easier. So it's easier to stay with whatever it is. I mean, sadly, this is why a lot of people are in abusive relationships. It's easier to do that, to stay in that thing. Cause at least we know how hard we're going to hit, get hit. If we go into the wild, maybe we get hit harder or, or we don't get hit at all. And, and like, if you think about that, that's a pretty twisted thing, probably requiring therapy. But the, the truth is sometimes we actually are appreciative of whatever type of connection or energy we get, even if it's bad, because it's something. We saw that in COVID over the last couple of years, how being disconnected was debilitating and destructive and, and really dangerous. And so having any type of connection to anything, you know, going, going to a bad job versus no job. And, and you think about that, or, I mean, I've seen, I, I, I've done this with investments. I'm like, well, at least I've got an investment. I don't know how that makes any sense, Mike, when that investment was costing me money every month. But in my mind, I'm like, yeah, I got assets. Those assets were bleeding me to death. And there was a re and for my psychology, my mindset, I stayed in those investments for months and months and months and years until it didn't take too many years. I mean, back in 2007, eight, it was, you know, in 12 months, I went from hero to zero and then beyond. And it was, it was because I wasn't willing to cut and make the hard decision. The easier thing was just to borrow more money and feed the beast and not really own the fact that I was stupid as a box of rocks right then. Yeah. Well, even like what you were saying earlier about what'd you call it? Calendar, credit card and cash. Like yeah. the calendar. I, I mean, I'm not going to forget that after you said it. Cause it, it's like, well, that's simple, but again, it's not easy. It's not easy to do. Cause even like the calendar thing, when you're talking about assets and I, I'm particularly thinking about one property that I own that I'm like, when you were saying that, I'm like, okay, I need to stop and take 20 minutes and deal with this thing because it's not, it's, it's so, it's so small. It's out of sight, out of mind. Um, but literally just stopping for a few minutes and putting some time on the calendar and dealing with this situation, but you just put it off, right? You just keep putting it off and putting it off. And it's the same with quitting that job or, you know, getting overwhelmed. And what you were even saying earlier, I remember Kiyosaki saying, the scariest thing to me is knowing on January 1st, what what my what my bank account's going to look like on December 31st of this year. And when he said that, I was like, or what amount of income he was going to make. When I heard him say that, I was like, man, that's so true. Because we think it's scary to step out and you know start investing, or what if I make a mistake, or what if I lose some money, or what if, what if, what if. But what if you wake up on January 1st of 2022 and know that day that you're going to make $79,000 by the end of this year, and you're going to maybe have saved two or $3,000. That shit's scary. Yeah, that's, that's, that's terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, it, 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 it made, me, made me laugh thinking about, uh, I was listening to Kiyosaki on, on, a, on his Rich Dad show with he and Kim and Jeff Lang and uh, Russ and Robert, the real estate guys, listening to those guys. And one of the interesting things is, you and I have been following Robert Kiyosaki for, for years, decades. Us. And, and I remember, I remember before anybody really knew who he was in the late nineties, we were all living in the same place, um, back in, in Arizona. And, and sometimes people get it, they do well, the danger with doing well, I mean, I, I'm, I look at my own example, you do well and you think that you're smart 
Mm-hmm. And it doesn't necessarily mean you're smart. It means that maybe you got good timing. You might be smart. But one of the things that I see is, is the things where I, when I hear people saying things that are, I know are wrong, but because they've said them, they're, they're defending their position. And one of the, one of the examples that I've heard Robert Kiyosaki say for years, he hates 401ks and retirement accounts are stupid. And I'm like, well, no, that's actually just a pig headed idea because you don't understand that you have the ability to have control. And, and what, what's happening is people blanket their, their statement to cover an absolute everything. It's like when you, like you get into a fight with your spouse or somebody and you say, you always do this or you never do this. And the reality is that's not true. It's just not like mm-hmm. there's, there, it's, and, and yet when we hear people say things like 401ks are, are the, the worst thing and I would never have one and I laugh and I go, okay, so why does Peter Thiel have a $5 billion Roth account? Because <laughs> yeah. he's a moron? No, he's a thousand times richer than you are and I don't care who we're talking to. And so what's the, what's the purpose? And the, and the reason I'm saying this is because when we have an idea that we're not willing to disrupt, then we're missing out. It's having a blind spot. And that's mm-hmm. what it's coming down to. Are you owning your blind spots? Are you willing to challenge your assumptions and be wrong? Or is your ego too fragile? And I think a lot of people are trying to defend their ego more than they're doing anything else. Don't you think? Yeah. Well, and I, you know, even as you're saying this, I work with a coach, his name's Dr. John Ryan, and it's been amazing for me. But even as you're saying this, like I'm a huge advocate of the EQRP, like the retirement plan, right? It's a 401k. Um, But I would still find myself like saying, we we have these deep rooted like language that we've just been programmed. And so even like you're saying with Kiyosaki, as you were saying that, I'm sitting here thinking, you know, I could probably still find myself saying, you know, don't fall into that trap of, you know, go to school, get a job, invest in your 401k. It, the reason why I brought up Dr. John is because it's been really good for me over, you know, the last year working with him to just really check my language, tying that back to my beliefs. And that's what I like heard you just saying. Um, because even though I believe that 401ks are good, if, if managed properly and set up right and, and handled properly and, and you have the right education behind it, we automatically just jump bundle our language into like what you were saying, you always do this, or you never do this for me, or you shouldn't invest in a 401k. And that's just not so like, it's just, it's, it's not looking at that from a surface conversation, but really diving into it. What type of 401k should you be managing or investing in? Right? Yeah. It's asking a better question Mm -hmm. instead of having an absolute statement. It's, it's an absolutely great question. And that's, that's the difference. That's, that's when the languaging starts to open you up and your beliefs aren't, I'm smart and I'm right. My beliefs are, I'm curious. And there, there is a huge shift. And one, I think one, one of the things that's happened for me over the years, when I look back, I've watched myself where I go between knowing and curiosity. And there, I, I've, I've noticed that there's times where I want to be certain because I want to be strong. I want to be in a leadership position. I want to be a thought leader. And it's important and I don't, I don't want to feel stupid. And what's fascinating is that's when I think I probably feel the stupidest when I'm, I'm so certain. And there's this like, because I'm, I'm, I can feel myself blocking things up off and then something pops up and I go, wow, I was, I wasn't even open to anything. I was, one of my mentors said years ago, he goes, I may be wrong, but I'm never in doubt. And I, and that stuck with me and I went, okay. So, cause you and I, as, as business owners will, we'll make decisions dozens, hundreds a day. Mm-hmm. And, and, there, and we, we don't have time to be spending. We have to be certain and we do it. It doesn't mean we're not wrong. Mm-hmm. There's, we're also open to information. We're open to other ideas. 
And that's there. And there's a balance when you're, you're open, you're not a wish, wishy washy waffle mm-hmm. as, as John Kerry used to be called or Bill Clinton or whoever we're talking about in politics. Yeah. There, there's value in being open. There's also value in being decisive. So I think, and they, these are things, this is part of the experience. This is where you have to go through it. There's like, there's no hack where you go, okay, I'll have perfect curiosity and perfect decisiveness. And it's a 60, 40 split, like stocks and bonds by some financial advisor. That's not how it works. Yeah. You, you're constantly making it up. It's more art than science. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, I, even as you're saying this, I, I remember hearing Norman Schwarzkopf, you know, talk about making sure that you have a good enough team around you that even if you're making a bad decision, that team will take that decision and make it good. And I think that a lot of people that are frozen with fear or they want to do something bigger or, you know, they, they want to quit their job at some point in time, whatever it is, or they want to invest in a certain asset class, whatever, they don't move through it because they're fearful. But really, you know, as you're saying this too, the only reason that we continue to move forward, and I think people will look at this sometimes from the outside and say, oh, well, Damien just, you know, made 99 right decisions and it's always perfect and it's always rosy. No, that's not true. You just trust yourself to move through and take the messy action and get moving. And you trust yourself and your team and your experience and your knowledge enough to know that you're going to make quick adjustments. And that's the thing that I think everybody needs to understand and know is that nobody's out there making a hundred percent or even you know a 50% batting average. We make mistakes every single day. We just make them so fast and so often that we move through it and just hope that they're not big enough that you know it causes big issues. And I know, you know, if you talk to anybody that's successful, and Damien, you've been pretty open about your past, there's been some big, I've made some big, big mistakes. The key is just not making too many big mistakes, right? And and adjusting quickly. And I love the Mark Twain quote, as you were saying this, it reminded me, you know, he said, it ain't what you don't know that gets you into trouble. It's what you know for sure that just ain't so. And I love that because so many people, and you know, I think I could fall into this trap too, but when we are so set on believing a certain thing, and, and I was so inspired by what you were saying a few minutes ago, like we just have to be open. We have to be curious. We have to remain flexible. And I remember back in the day, you know, I used to like, I used to be so pigheaded in a bad way, not like um, like Chet was talking about, but pigheaded in a way that like when I would not, I wasn't open, I wasn't open and I wasn't curious. And the most successful people that I know will sit and listen and they don't respond quickly. They listen, they absorb all. I've tried this as a leader. I want to sit at a table and I want to take everybody's viewpoint and I want to try to understand that. But ultimately at the end of the day, it's my responsibility to make the decision. But the more input that I get from different people, the better that, the better the odds are that we're going to make a, a good decision because those are the people that know what's actually going on. They have filters. They see what's going on out there. And it should be the same with us, even if we don't have a team. I'm thinking of this from a leadership perspective. But your team could be you know, the Damien Lupos of the world. Your team could be your accountant. It could be an investment advisor. It could be you know, a course that you take. Having a team around you that you get all these different opinions and viewpoints is a good thing. I think it's everything. I think it's uh, that that's an that's one of those weird absolutes, like an absolute universal truth that it's they're having a team. There, one of the things that I, I learned you were you're talking about uh, being with Robert Kiyosaki in on the summit, the real estate guys event. And when I was with him last year, we were playing cash flow, and and one of the things that hit me, and I've played cash flow hundreds and hundreds of times for twenty years. I was playing cash flow on a board game during at, in the evening when I was buying houses, playing the game in real life during the day, it was very cool to tell people, yeah. And they say, what, what do you do? And I said, well, 
see this game that we're playing right now? That's what I did from 8 a.m. until 5 until I came over here. I was doing that thing. What one thing that I didn't do, and it's funny, you know, 20 some odd, 25 years later, I, I was sitting around this table, and one of the things Robert said was, you don't want to have too many people at the table. You want to have the ideal number of people playing a game is four with cash flow, it's four. Wow. And I was thinking, why is that? And of course, it didn't take long for him to go, because it slows everybody down if you have too many people. And that's the same thing when you have democratic voices, when you have mm-hmm. you have people that are saying we should ha- everybody should have a, a voice and be a part of the conversation. And you know how you get nothing done? Have everybody arguing about it all the time. Somebody's got to make a decision about stuff. And when you're and the other problem is if if you're waiting for everybody to go and you're like in line and doing your thing, that's that's called being a good compliant industrial age worker. You just wait in line and you don't you, just, you know whatever. It, you get bored. Mm-hmm. And and so you, you go take up substances or Netflix or something. So the the point here is to figure out how to get the right number of people in the conversation and on the team. And it, it's why masterminds, like you're not going to have a mastermind that's going to be really effective with with 50 or 100 people around a table. Like that's, mm-hmm. like, give me a break. You're never going to talk or you're going to disappear or, or whatever. So the teams are so critical, the amount of people, the right people. And what do most people do? You know who their team is? Their neighbors, whoever mm-hmm. they happen to live around. It's called my CPA is here by proximity, not because it's the best person I could find. My attorney, I don't know. It's my 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 spouse's brother in law or my brother in law. You know, like it's it's whoever I happen to collide with. And I mean, so many of so many of our the people in our life are collisions. They're mm-hmm. not thought out. They're just like we just random bumps into people. Why, why would we do that? Because it's easier. Yeah, it's so true. And. The, the excuses get less and less in this day and age. I mean, COVID accelerated so much, but you know, like you were talking about the CPA and uh, by default, because it's my neighbor and because I have known him or I went to school with him or whatever in this day and age, there's no excuse because we have access to so much, not only people, skill set, knowledge, information. There's just no excuse for us to just, you know, stay in the rut that we're in. None. I, you know, you know it, it's easy to get have a great excuse when you have people around you that are making excuses because then you're normalizing your excuses and they seem rational. So if you're if you have excuses, you're like nothing's wrong with that. It's because you have a bunch of losers around you. And like truly, I say that if people are making excuses around you and you're not getting rid of them, that that's what makes you a loser. Not choosing when you can choose because I mean, who who doesn't have the ability to choose? Said nobody ever. Like there, it, everybody does. And I, I it, it's funny because. Another uh, like this is pick on Robert David. He, he, he'd go to he'd go to events and he'd have his his, his fingers and he'd say, you call everybody loser. You have a job loser and I'm like oh really? So the next time you go to your doctor, you call on your doctor a loser. Like it's I don't think going and working. I work every day. I'm an employee. I work for the company. Yeah, it's my company, and I work for it. And okay, so am I a loser? No, I I am I'm deeply committed to something and and so I'm choosing every day. The thing that we're I'm choosing is who am I going to be around? What am I going to allow to come in? And I, I, yesterday I was with my uh, my trainer and I was, one of the things that I've noticed over the years is how I'm, I'm observant of my ego. Mm-hmm. And my ego, I used to let my ego do things. I wouldn't give people feedback. I'd get a massage and somebody would be hurting me and I wouldn't say anything. Mm-hmm. Now if they hurt me, I give them feedback. Now I had one recently where she just kept going because her, her feedback fixing lasted three seconds and then she went back to pain. Different story. But you're, like, my ego is not going to prevent me from saying, hey, you know what? Something is off here. Let's mm-hmm. not push it. In my 20s, and probably for most guys, I don't know, most girls or most theys, 
I guess everybody, this is just an ego thing for humans. We, we tend to not acknowledge reality. Mm-hmm. So we push ourselves to a place where we get hurt. We push ourselves or we don't push ourselves because our egos is, is driving the ship instead of our, our more enlightened self. And, I, and, and this is, some of this has to do with wisdom, but I mean, there's plenty of people that are 60 years old and their ego still drives. And it's like, have you not learned anything? Where have you been? Like, no, the ego has been running the ship. And that's, that's something that, that all of us have that choice in. It, it, it ties back to what you were saying earlier about just what, what ain't so like you always do this. I'm thinking about even just the language behind it. And I'm, I don't know why I'm stuck on this, but when, when we think about ego, like ego, when you said, you, you know, you didn't want to tell her like, Hey, lighten up. I wouldn't have thought of that as ego, but the reality is, you know, you were telling a story and and I think this is probably a good segue into it about asking for a discount that that's ego. When we don't want to ask for something or we don't want to ask for, you know, whatever it is we're asking for, it's ego. And I wouldn't have normally thought of that. Um, I just don't want to be a pain. I don't want to be an issue. I don't want to be this, but ego is also what prevents us from asking because we're scared to hear the word. No. And you were telling a great story. You know, I don't know if you want to dive into it, but you asked for something and you got it. Yeah. And, and so one of the things that I've learned is that it's great to ask. If you don't ask, it's generally not going to happen. Like it's not going to magically like pixie dust and unicorns and whatever is not going to fall out of the sky. Like yeah. I, these ideas that the people have in these trainings where you say, I'm a money magnet. And then all this money falls out of the sky. That does not happen. <laughs> if, if you're wondering what this, the secret to that happening is, uh, well, you make a film and that's when it happens on film. Mailbox yeah. money, baby. <laughs> Mailbox money. Yeah. This, the, the, the great farce that I, I was, there, there's a difference between asking for something and being an asshole. And, and what I mean by that is going back to that whole cheap thing that I mentioned. So you can, I have people come into our system and they'll, they'll say, well, I, do you, do you have a better deal? And I say, do we have a better deal? I'm going to give you 10 times more than you're paying for. And meaning your the value you're getting is being a part of this. And that's, that's the deal. And so that's somebody that is not really conscious because you ask for deals on commodities. Hmm. You don't ask for deals on things that are exclusive. You don't go in and say, well, what kind of deal can I get on that Rolls Royce? Or when you have the, the world's best accountant, like we do at ProVision, Tim Gertz, you, you don't go, Tim, can you give me a discount? Yeah. If you do, Tim says, I'll give you a discount right out the door. It's like, you know, I I don't have time for that because there is value here. In this case, when you have loans, that's a great place. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm hugely in favor of negotiating and asking for a better deal when you're you're doing things like loans. And that's, I just happened to have a loan that I was going to refinance. And and I said, you know, I want to change the loan. I I said, I want to borrow more money. And I'll borrow more money from you if you give me a better rate. So think think about what that how that sounds to most people. They're like, wait, so you're saying that it's better for the lender? They're going to give you a better deal if you take more money, and that's exactly right because that's how they make money. And so I, I incentivized him to give me a better rate, and and it was it was just fascinating. And he said, "Yep, yeah, we're I, I I got approval for that." I'm like, I'm pretty sure. I, at that point, I'm thinking it took you four minutes to tell me yes. You probably could have done better. So now that's second guessing. That's a whole negotiating thing, but it, when you've got commodities, I think it's very valuable to negotiate when it's exclusive, you are negotiating against yourself, even having the option for the thing that you're trying to get. Mm -hmm. And that is not a place that you want to be negotiating with yourself. 
such a good point. I'm thinking this is this is kind of a little tangent, but I was thinking of this guy that used to work for me, a sales guy back in when I had my HVAC company. And I, I loved working with this guy because he was high energy. I mean, all day, every day was just high energy. And I never forget, I would get phone calls during the day and it'd be him. And I'd, I'd answer because he's out selling and he'd be like, Mr. Ayala, I'm here with customer X and they're wanting to know, can it, can we throw in a free this? And I'd be like, sure, whatever. Like just, you know, but he would always ask, but he would put me on the spot. Like, what am I going to do? Say no to like the customer, but it was always something within reason. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't like he was giving away the farm, but he would put me on the spot in order to close them. And so it's a different version of it, but he basically would ask me for something that I couldn't say no to. And, and how do you learn what you can and can't ask for? You practice it. <laughs> yeah. You, I mean, you push, you push too far and then somebody throws something and you, and you, you know, the house that you fall in love with and you're like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. And you ask for one little haircut on the price and, and then you lose the house. Yeah. Um, or, or like there's a million ways that you can do that. You, it's, it's, it's called the human experience. Like we, we have to, we have to try, we have to do it. And I hate the word, by the way, try, try, you don't, you don't try. You Yoda, you do or do not, but there is no try, right? That's like, gah, yeah. makes me cringe when I hear the word try. Just go do it, ask. Yeah. And to, to what you said a minute ago, why, you know, why don't we do that? I, we, we don't want our feelings to be hurt. We don't want to, we don't want to be awkward. It's like asking the, the girl out at the dance. I don't want her to say no. Well, hell, what if she says yes? Like, it, then what? You're like, well, maybe I'm more afraid of that. What if yeah. they say, yes, I guess I got to go out and I got to dance. Maybe I got to kiss her. Ah, like, you know, you freak out about this stuff. So sometimes it's, it's our imagination of what is going to happen if something happens. And I, and I've never dealt with that before. So it's this great unknown. And a lot of that has to do with us just trusting ourselves. Like you said a while ago, being able to adapt mm -hmm. and trusting that you can adapt. You and I don't know exactly what's going to happen next month or next year, other than a year from now, we're still, we're going to be in spring. Yeah. You know that. There's going to be seasons. Do we know if it's going to be like in Alabama, it could be winter, summer, spring, or fall next March, like on any particular day, anything's possible. And so does that make us paralyzed? So we're not going to want to get up. No, you say, okay, well, if it's, if there's a tornado, I went to sleep the other day and, and there were tornado warnings happening all over the place here. I was like, ah, okay. Like you just, you, 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 if it happens, it happens. I can't control the tornadoes. I can deal with it if it happens. And so much of, of what we did this during COVID, we were planning for so many different things. And uh, one of the things I think a lot of people did, I know I missed it, was planning for and engaging with the things that were positively happening mm -hmm. because I was spending too much time planning for the demise of, of, of the everything, my world. Mm -hmm. And so that you, we've got to be careful about how much planning for the, the end. We, we, I mean, we'll get to the end, right? Like, but we, we kind of go down that rabbit hole sometimes because of our fears. Yeah. Well, I think it's, you know, just, there's a theme here today. I mean, remaining curious and, uh, I love what the Bible says. There's a wisdom in the multitude of counsel, right. And just having people in your lives that even if they disagree with you, like, I kind of feel like, you know, as we wrap this up today, it's important to not get into our echo chambers as well. And I think that's what we've done so well. Um, I've had so many conversations and that's what I love about hosting a podcast and, and doing things like this is because you, you get to ask questions and I have these, I have a certain idea in my head about what I think is going to happen. But the more people that I ask this, this question, like, what do you think is going to happen in the next one to three years? You might get 15, 20 different opinions and guess what? None of them are going to be exactly right. None of them. There's not one. And I heard something yesterday, even 
I don't remember who said this yesterday, but somebody was talking about how most people, oh, I know who it was. It was um, David Green from Bigger Pockets. He put up a Facebook post and he was saying that most people will squawk recession and they'll squawk downturn and they'll squawk the negative because if they're wrong, nobody calls them out on it. But if you say, hey, things are going to go really well and then something happens, you're going to get called out on it, right? And I don't know if that is right or wrong either way, but I just love hearing all the different opinions because the more educated I am, the more curious I remain, the more I can build my own idea about what's going to happen. And guess what? My idea is never going to be right either. But the more I can mitigate potential opportunities, you and I, I think we're talking about this, but Justin Donald said at the couple's mastermind, um, I don't know, a month ago, somebody asked the question about a situation they were having in an investment. And he said, usually there's best case scenario and then there's worst case scenario. And usually what actually happens is somewhere in the middle. Yeah, it's it it definitely comes it comes down to that that what what we what I've learned is that you you plan for you plan the best you can and you move on to the next thing that you plan for. It's not staying in that thing. A great example of that is is this obsession around perfection. Writing a book, I've written quite a few books, and it is amazing how many times it's an unlimited opportunity to reevaluate and second guess. What you've you've done, I mean, there my, my book reinvented life. I think I rewrote it and republished it like twenty times, and I finally stopped. I was like, "What am I doing?" I mean, it's out to print. I like twenty different versions the first year. I'm thinking, "Why am I doing this?" Because somebody said, "Oh, you missed a period." I found on page fifty-two, and and that sentence didn't make any sense. And I go, "Why does this matter?" And it's like having the perfect scenario for a recession or having the perfect investment. Okay, you know what? So that's where you have a variety of things, and you keep. And then you also don't get so wound up like Henry Ford. If somebody asked him, what happens if you lose everything? I go make it back in five years. When mm -hmm. you have that skill set, when you actually have gone out into the trenches and you've bled, you, you're you not as worried. If you've never bled, if it's been more of an accident, which is I think why a lot of people are so afraid of their, their money going away because they just did this plan where they put money away and they saved and, and they, it accidentally grew with the S&P 500 they have no skill set and they certainly don't have another 20 or 30 years to start over. And that's the problem with doing the conventional thing. You're beholden to the system that is telling you this is how it's done, but it's not how it's done for them. They're making money off of you. They're not making money the way that you're supposed to be making money. So it's a, it's a totally hypocritical approach. So we say, okay, well, how do we do these different things? We try, we, we do them and then we do them 90, 95%. And then we move to the next thing. We, there is no hundred percent. That's one of the missing things. People are trying to get 100% perfection with whatever they're doing, especially investing or financial freedom. It doesn't exist. There is there is no utopian thing. But you're when you're talking about what what's in the Bible, the Council uh, Proverbs 15:22. There's the, the reason that my mastermind is called 15:22. It's because of Proverbs. It's about counsel. It's about bringing people together and having counsel. And you go, that's a great idea. Implementing that, and you implement it. We did this with our GoPro, our pod all these different ideas during COVID and we were getting these different, okay, that's, a, that's an interesting thing. I'm going to buy some gold here. I'm going to go look at this. Could interest rates go up or down? And then we're, we're basically building plans around different scenarios based on council that work. And we don't know which one's going to be right. And mm -hmm. it didn't matter because we had things covered regardless. And that's that when you go all in like our friend, Peter Schiff, he's all in on a depressionary depression mm -hmm. it's, and it's going to happen. And it's going to happen every day for the last 20 years. Yeah. And so you, when you're all in, you know, you're consistent and eventually you may be right, but you're going to be wrong for a long time. And maybe you're, that makes you mad or maybe you don't care as much because 
you're you're also you have a plan for some other stuff. Yeah. Well, and I when I look at those fundamentals too, like I tend to fall in that camp of like, <laughs> I mean, I can go off the deep end and be like, oh my god, we need to run to you know the Sahara Desert and die. Um, but but also like, I, I miss out on so much opportunity too, and so I think it's just like you said, mitigating the risk and you know. Um, you were, you were talking about a hundred percent. I'm reading this book right now called, um, what got you here won't get you there. And I think that's a good way to just kind of, you know, put a bow on this thing. It's, it's true. Even when you were talking about the first generation entrepreneurs, there's nothing to lose. It's true. When you quit your job, when I quit my job and I started my own company, I had nothing to lose. I could have went back to the job that I was at. Right. Um, you have nothing to lose, but then as you start gaining, now, now you're in a different place and you have to shift your mindset. And so what got you here won't get you there. And I think that's the thing. That's why I love having conversations with you. That's why I'm passionate about doing this every week. Um, because what got us here won't get us there. And we have to keep cultivating that renewing of our mind, right? And just up-leveling that, that whole conversation. And so many times people get fearful because now we have something to lose and we don't up-level our mind again. And so we say stagnant. And if we're not going you know, to new levels consistently, that's not a good place. That's not where I want to be. So no. And and I love that you're bringing this up because what that book, when, when I haven't read the book, what I immediately think of is what, what, what got you here won't get you there. So what got you here is a group of counsel. It's people. It's, I'm not saying get rid of your spouse because your spouse isn't going to help you get there. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm <laughs> saying is that the, the accountants, the attorneys, some of the people that work with you for you, that you work for, are not the right people to get you to where you're going. They're the people that got you to where you are today. And it's that, that, and so what do you do with that? One of the things is you forward hire. If you have a business, if you're, if you're going to start a business, you hire people that are further away than where you are now. What does that mean? If you've got, if you're making $500,000 in your company, go hire a CFO that's used to working with $20 million companies, not $200 million companies because it's too big of a chasm and you won't make any sense. But stretching you past where you are is such a powerful thing because you start getting things in place. You normalize a $20 million company. You're thinking, okay, $20 million companies generally don't have one person working. Mm -hmm. They have a team. They have systems. They have a facility. They have all these things that are normal. And so if you're trying to do a $20 million company and you have no team, you're just going to stay at a $500,000 $500, level or wherever you are. So it's, it's bringing in the future environment and making it normalized, it'll pull you into wherever you're going. That's a very interesting way to have an impact and strategically get yourself there because otherwise you're like, well, why isn't it happening? Because you're keeping yourself compressed because your thermostat's stuck on 62. Yeah. Yeah. And so many times I think people are like, as soon as I have this, I'll do that. Yeah. When in reality, it's like, as soon as you start doing this, you'll have that. I'm thinking specifically when you're talking about hiring people, we were on a our couple's mastermind call the other night and there's this lady in there that's just rocking it, man. Her business is growing and she's like, I need to hire an executive team. And then she's like, but I'm scared. And the question was like, well, what happens if you don't? Cause you're overworked, you're overwhelmed. The business is growing. Her business is actually growing like in spite of her and, and without even hiring. And so it's like, if you don't do this, you're going to have to start slowing down the growth. And so mm-hmm. I think a lot of times people are like, you know, as soon as I have this, I'll do that. No, do that. And then you'll have that. That I, I love that. That goes back to the the people that are, that are like, well, I'll be charitable once I have money. And I go, that's like telling the fireplace that you'll, that you'll give it wood once it gives you heat that you're violating the laws of God. Like it does not work nature. You can't say, okay, well, I'll, 
you know what? Gravity is really hard. When they turn gravity off, I'll go for a walk because it'll be easier. No, you go for a walk and then gravity doesn't matter. Like you have to get the right order. People try to hopscotch over things like I, I'm going to give away 10% once I make a million dollars. I'm like, you're not even giving away 10% now and you don't make a hundred thousand. Like what is wrong with you? Yeah. That is, it's not going to, it doesn't work that way. Yeah. And so, so if we can get the this, this stuff right in the right order, yeah. amazing what happens. And so you do, you do have to, you have to think about those, those people and the environments and set yourself up because it really does matter. And, and that, that starts even before that with the mindset. Do you see yourself as a loser? Do you see yourself as a rich person, as a poor person? If you see yourself as a poor person, you're not going to want to hire people. You're going to keep tra- trading your time for money. You're never going to start buying time from other people and systems. And, and it, you have to ask yourself, how, who am I? Mm-hmm. That's where this be, do, have thing really came from. Who am I? Who, who is, what is my being? And once you understand that, okay, what do I need to shift about that? Mm-hmm. Because that's going to dry. Why do people make $10 million a year and then do it year after year after year? Because that's normalized. That's who they be. Yeah. And why do some people make $50,000 a year? That's who they be. Yeah. And you say, well, no, they're smarter. They're not a thousand times smarter. And it's, it's who their being is and it's naturalized and they do the things. Because that's who they are. Such a different, it's a different approach. Totally. And you know, obviously this is taught in school. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> my, my takeaway from all this is, is if you're a greedy, poor asshole, you're going to be a greedy, rich asshole. Like it just doesn't change. And you probably will never end up being a rich anything. You probably won't. You're just going to be where you are. And if you, if you win the lottery, guess what happens? You are the rich asshole for a minute. You're really just a, yes, a, an asshole with a bunch of money for you know, a moment. Yeah. My brother-in-law, we should probably wrap this up, but my brother-in-law years ago told me this study that he had read that like, you know, they, they did this study and basically once you make above 75,000, like you don't get any happier. And I think we've even had this conversation so many times I've heard that quoted and, and it's just true because it's not about the money. It's about the mindset. It's about the growth. And as we started out today, just, you know, so thankful for you and just people. And I mean, it's really just about all that, right? The money is a byproduct of good living, man. It, 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 it's, it always is a byproduct. And when you start to realize that and you start asking, you don't ask different questions. You're not asking, how am I going to make money? You're asking, how am I going to make an impact? And, and how am I going, what, what am I going to do to create joy? And, and it, not Damien's version circa 2002, where you're a giant ass hedonist. That's not what I'm talking about, but it's the joy of connecting, the joy of, of satisfying the six needs that are not just security. Mm-hmm. And, and I, you know, that's the six human needs. The security one is the one that gets people into trouble, the security and certainty, mm-hmm. because they go, oh, well, you know what? I know I'll feel good if I have X, like a whole lot of ice cream. That feels really good and secure. If I can get enough guns, if I can, if I can, you know, satisfy my need to conquest more women. Like I'm not talking about anybody in particular, right? But I'm talking about <laughs> this movie. It's a movie I saw recently in my head, and and it was really thinking about that the 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 significance, the contribution the growth, the other human needs, when you start focusing on those, it's amazing. The money becomes less and less relevant because it starts happening automatically, not because it comes from the skies, but because it becomes from, it comes from your being. It come, it's, there is a natural attraction because you're doing things that are creating value, not because you're saying, I'm a money magnet. It's because you are literally creating value for other human beings and for the, and for the world. Yeah. I, as you're saying all that, I'm thinking about another Kiyosaki-ism. Like, if you want security, the most secure place in the world is prison. <laughs> Yeah. And, and if you want loyalty, you know, buy a dog. As Al Dunlap said, I bought two. You know, like, you know, there's, there's, there's ways to satisfy some of this dumb crap that you want, like this, the loyalty and the, and the security, but uh, prison, I mean, an option. And there's a pretty effective, efficient, direct route to go there. I mean, but is that what you really want? Maximum security? Maybe not. 
Yeah. And my other favorite quote, I'm going to have Mike do some Damianisms from this, but <laughs> you, if you want the box to get hot, stuff the wood in it. <laughs> I'm just like, where's Damian coming from today? I'm like, I'm loving it. It's good. So anyway, should we wrap this up? Yeah, man, let's do it. I, I, this has been good. It's been fun. Yeah. Any, uh, any final words? Uh, yeah, I, I think that we need to, we need to find a way to have a mobile camera so that when we have life, um, we don't miss these moments. Cause it's, it, I, I, one of the things that I've, I've thought about, I was thinking about this the last couple of days working 12, 13 hour days. And, and that's, I mean, sometimes I hear people saying that, but it's, it's hard. Like it's not when you're, especially when you're engaged in, you know, uh, intellectually, it's, it's yeah. exhausting. And, and what, what happens when you do that is you, you stop like the power of habit and uh, Charles Dewig's book and uh, it was that book or atomic habits, but you run out of willpower if mm -hmm. you don't do things. So my choice, my decision-making at eight, nine o'clock at night after 13 straight hours was really, really crappy. And so what, the, what does that mean? Not doing the best eating. And mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm not saying I did, but I might've had too many glasses of wine and, and, and there probably wasn't a workout involved. And so it just, it made me think about, about, about these things. Uh, and I don't even know why I got off on that topic, but it was, it was just interesting the last couple of days. Oh, life. We, if we, if, if it matters, we, we do it. And, and so like you and I've talked about working out, it's not something that gets the scraps. It needs to get, it needs to get the core chunk on a calendar and it's consistent and everything else has to fit in around it. When, when I make a decision to let working out fill in around the, it doesn't happen. It happens. It's because I'm not making it a priority and what, what's a priority is going to be what our life looks like. Yeah, I agree. I love it. So you're saying get a mobile camera so that so that we never miss these moments. Cause man, this is awesome. Like this is super fun. And yeah. I'm, I'm, you know, for me, cause I'm just going to watch it again and then I'll have another movie to watch in my head. Not, yeah. you know, not being in 2002. Even if nobody else is watching, I'm going to watch it. Yeah, it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't matter. Mike's yeah. like, just keep doing it no matter what. So we have some good content. I'm like, great. Perfect. Yeah, Love it. Right. Uh, I mean, well, we'll see you. Uh, I mean, I'll obviously see you before next week, but I'll see you next week. Yeah. See you guys. See you next week. See you all next week. If there's all anybody, anybody out there, we'll see you all anyone, soon. Anyone? See ya. Bye guys. If you found value in this episode and you know someone who's wanting to start or move further along in their journey toward investing for freedom, I would be forever grateful if you would share this show with them and help me get this message out to more listeners. Also, if you enjoy what you've heard, I would appreciate it if you'd take 30 seconds and leave me a five-star review and share this with your friends. And until the next episode, cheers to moving further along in your journey of investing for freedom.